Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful. I'm your host, Lauren McGinwin. Sometimes you have too much on your plate, or you're just not interested in taking on a project that you've been asked to work on. You might not have a choice in the matter, but if you do, how do you turn down the opportunity in a way that won't offend the person offering? How can you avoid being labeled, quote, not a team player or difficult to work with? And why is it so damn uncomfortable to say no in the first place? Social psychologist Vanessa Bones, author of You Have More Influence Than You Think, is here to share techniques for saying no at work and advice on how we can all make it easier to respect someone else's boundaries in the workplace. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Okay, start by telling us about your background and why you wanted to research social influence and social perceptions in the workplace, because I feel like usually people might have had something happen at work in order to actually study that kind of stuff. But you tell me. I guess it sort of happened at work. It more happened in graduate school. But, you know, I started out being interested in influence in general. Like when I was in high school, I interned at an ad agency and like got my little ad in the local paper and was very excited. And then after college, I went and worked for Ogilvy and Mather. So I was in New York City at like a big ad agency. And I really kind of had the this interest in like just influence as sort of you traditionally think of it. And eventually I went back to graduate school and kind of wanted to take a more academic perspective on it. And I was working with a professor in graduate school my very first year. His name is Frank Flynn. And we were collecting data for a study and we needed a diverse participant sample. And so I was in charge of doing that since I was a little first year graduate student. And so I would take this sort of packet of questionnaires down to Penn Station every day and have to go up to people and ask them to fill out my little questionnaire to participate in my study. (laughs) That sounds rough. (laughs) And even you saying that, that's right. Like, that's the feeling most people have, I think. And I definitely like I am an introvert. I hated doing this. You know, I hated going up to people. It was so painful. And, you know, eventually I I collected enough data and I, I brought all the surveys up and we entered the data and we looked at it. And it turned out the study didn't work. And oh, no. 
<laughs> that's that's actually par for the course pretty much in science like so many studies don't work but it's usually not such a big deal but for me this one like the pain of collecting that data made it so much worse and so i kind of started going on and on about how upset i was about the study not working because i was like you don't understand it was just the worst collecting this data and it was this interesting moment because Frank was looking at the data I collected and I had collected, you know, how many people said yes to me and the comments they made. And so he's looking at the objective data while I'm describing this terrible experience. And he was like, you know, I'm hearing you say one thing and I'm seeing something different in the data. And we had this aha moment that the way we think things are going to go in our heads, you know, how negatively we think an interaction is going or has gone is often not the truth if you actually looked from a, an objective perspective. And so that's really what started my main research focus, which is this these misperceptions of the influence we have and misperceptions about how things are going to go, interactions are going to go. That's so interesting because it's like I was talking, I was interviewing someone for the show yesterday and she was saying like when you go in for tough conversations, go in with like the attitude that people mean well. Right. And it was so like, speaking of what you're saying is like so many people even enter, especially work conversations with like this preconceived notion of like, you don't like me. So you're already going to say no to me, or this is, we already have an attitude with each other or, you know, it was just, it was interesting because it was really good advice, but also I was like, God, that's so hard to do also, especially in a workplace. And I know part of your study is you talk about people's lack of self-awareness, also a big piece of that. And it's like, goes both ways, right? You can have this lack of self-awareness, but then you can also create this fake awareness too. Like, oh, I I'm going in there assuming like it's not going to go well. So, okay, well, let's get into this a little bit more because this is definitely a, a thing at work. And I think it also comes up when people need to say no to people at work. So why let's talk about why is it hard for us to say no at work, given the, your studies around social perceptions? Yeah. So if we kind of go back to this experience I was describing, right, of people being essentially more likely to say yes to me than I expected. And in the years since we decided to start testing that experimentally and bringing people into the lab and having them go out and ask people for things. And we find this effect at this point, we've had our participants ask over 15,000 people wow. for things. Yeah, it's, we've been doing this for over 15 years now. And it's just a really robust effect that we think people are more likely to say no to us than they actually are. And this kind of gets at this, this point about how hard it is to say no and how much we don't realize that from the outside, right? When I was asking people, I was so focused on myself and my own insecurities and my own self-consciousness. And kind of, as you said, I was going into it, expecting the no, expecting these interactions to go terribly. But on the other side, people were, you know, confronted with this person who was coming up to them. And if you put yourself in their perspective, right, this person's coming up to them and they don't know how to say no to this person. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. yeah, like any of us can imagine, like if someone comes up to you and you don't want to be a jerk, right? And you want yeah. to be a nice person. You want to be nice to this person. And so that plays out in the workplace as well. So it's really hard for us to say no in the moment. We often forget this in the abstract and think that it can be pretty easy. And you get this advice like, you know, you know, no is a complete sentence. Like I can't yeah. tell you how many people have said, have used that advice. And it's just so hard to articulate that because can you imagine just saying no 
to someone, right? Yeah. At, in the workplace without any. So it just, in a lot of ways, it's kind of unrealistic to think of it like that, right? No is really hard. And it's hard in general because it's very socially risky or it feels very socially risky to us. So we feel like by saying no, we're risking damaging our reputation. Like we may come across like an uncooperative person. We risk damaging the relationship because now we've rejected this person, right? And that can lead them to not like us as much. It also risks, you know, offending the other person. So one of my colleagues has this effect that she calls insinuation anxiety, like it, it insinuates something about what you think of that person or what they asked you for. And so we don't want to insinuate negative things about other people. We have a lot of anxiety around that. So all those things feel like these big social risks of saying no. And, you know, you might not consciously think of it, but it shows up in the feeling that like yes. anxiety, the embarrassment, the awkwardness, the guilt, all those feelings are these like evolutionary sort of aspects of all those concerns about like, I don't want to upset this person in my group. And you take that to the workplace, right? And it's exacerbated. So yes. now it's like on top of worrying about my reputation and the person and my relationship, I'm also worried about all the tangible potential effects it could have, right? Like, am I going to miss out on something at work? You know, is this person going to retaliate in, in some way? You know, is this person my boss? And I feel like I really don't have a choice. So all that plays in, it just makes it that much more intense in the workplace. Yeah. I, I love that you kind of poked fun at like the advice where people would say, just say no, no is a complete sentence. I find that there's a lot of advice that works very well in an Instagram and a TikTok video, but that does not work well in real life, right? Like when you are sitting across truly from a boss or a person that, and you guys are talking about something related to the project or whatever, you know, you, you don't just say no, like it, it would be a, it would be a bizarre thing to just say no and, and end the conversation right there. Right. And so there is this like social interaction or what we, I guess, would call like social graces that are important or I think help kind of finesse the saying no. So I'm curious, like, what are good examples of how you can say no to something? I mean, sometimes you get asked something and you truly want to do it and then later on can't, you know, but let's say you are asked something, you're like in your head, you're like, I am a hundred percent no for this. Like I cannot do it. I know I have too many things on my plate. And I need to say no to this. What are the best ways to say no at work? that are not these unrealistic things like no is a complete sentence. Yeah. So the way I like to think about it is that the best way to say no is to do it mindfully. So if you could imagine a situation where someone's, you know, asking you for something right there face to face in the moment and you're expected to respond, the first thing is just not to agree right there to get through that moment without immediately agreeing because there's so much pressure we feel in the moment. And yeah. part of it is that we don't know what to say, right? We have all these all these concerns in the back of our head that we talked about, like, I don't wanna seem like a jerk. I don't wanna let this person down. What if there's like this, you know, they're upset with me. We have all these things and we want to come up with a way to like get rid of all those worries. But in the moment, who can come up with the perfect words yeah. to say all that, right? So yeah. you need to slow it down and be more mindful and also think about, you know, what else you have on your plate, because implicitly, right, you say every time you say yes to something, you're implicitly saying no to something else. Right. right? So it feels harder to actually explicitly say no, but you really are saying no to other things. And it could be things as much as like, you know, hanging out like it could be work life balance kinds of things like hanging out with your kids, getting to go do something, you know, whatever it might be. But so the idea is to kind of slow it down buy yourself space and time to 
think about it, like what's actually on your plate, whether you actually want to do this thing and also give you time to come up with a script that allows you to say no in a way where you get to alleviate all those concerns. So it's moving on, you know, let me think, I need to check, you know, what else I have going on. I can't think about that right now. Can I just get back to you? Mm -hmm. And then think about it, you know, consult, and then you can write an email. I think the best way to respond, you know, and you can even tell someone like, I'll, I'll email you back, you know, let me just check on some things. And that gives you the time to think about it, to not have to say no to someone's face, which is often very hard. And it allows you to express yourself exactly, you know, how you feel comfortable doing it. So you can think about like, how am I going to convey that I actually do value this relationship, that I actually do value, you know, being cooperative, that I'm, a, you know, a helpful person. You can find a way to put that all in there, yeah, but still get to say no. Yeah. I, I love the idea of sort of like becoming the person that is mindful about what they say yes to versus just a person who tries to say no to things all the time. Right. And I think that just like the reframing of that, I think is also really helpful, especially in the workplace. Cause as you said, like there are going to be things that you want to say yes to. And socially you feel that way too. You're like, if I always say no, whenever that person invites me somewhere, they're going to stop inviting me. And I don't necessarily want to stop being invited, you know, that kind of thing. I think the workplace is also just full of like these unwritten rules, like you're not allowed to say no to your boss. We, you know, even we've written a lot of things about people pleasers, like people pleasing personalities want to say yes, they want to please. And part of, I think if you're struggling with that is this, this is a great technique is like, don't say yes right away. Just get in the habit of like, you always take your time to mindfully get back to somebody. And I think that's a really nice thing with the, with writing the email, especially you know, you're not trying to burn bridges. How do our feelings of self-consciousness, maybe our own awkwardness and embarrassment affect our willingness to ask others to do something for us? Because sometimes the flip the flip side is happening where you're asking someone and they're going to say no to you or something like that, right? Yeah. So, and this is similar to the story about me, like in Penn Station, right? But it happens all the time when we have to ask someone for like advice or help on a project or whatever it might be, or to cover us for something. Yeah. So we worry that asking someone for something is going to reveal something negative about ourselves, right? We worry that they're going to see us as less, you know, competent, potentially as annoying. It's going to bother them. But in fact, research shows that those fears are overblown. So we think people are going to, you know, think that we're less competent if we ask them for advice. But in fact, when people come to you for advice, you think that they're pretty smart because you're like, oh, well, you know, I know a lot of stuff and yeah, yeah I they usually love that. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's a misperception. People also are less annoyed in general than we think, you know, they might have to say no and that's, that's okay, but they're usually not annoyed at you for just asking, particularly for things like a little bit of, of help. Right. And so, and the, and the last thing is that we often worry that people will say no to us. And that worry tends to be overblown. You know, as I said, in our studies, people are twice as likely to agree as we, we think, but, you know, as, just like, you know, the other person who had the advice about, you know, go in assuming good intent, also go in assuming that other people are actually agreeable. Like they want to cooperate with you. They are agreeable. They don't, no one likes to say no, nobody likes it. So they are already sort of defaulting to saying yes and having to overcome that if they don't want to do something. And so if you kind of acknowledge that in the other person, it, it changes the dynamic, it changes how you ask. So you feel like, okay, this is actually something someone is inclined to do, right? So I'm going to ask in a way that doesn't like completely 
eliminate any confidence or any assertiveness or directness in my request. But it also allows you to sort of think about the other person. Like, should I actually be asking for this thing? Yeah. And what you mean about not getting rid of any of your assertiveness is like, don't be overly apologetic at the fact that you're asking someone, right? So like, it's actually okay to ask for help. It's actually a good thing to ask for help. I talk about this a lot with like networking because people are like, oh, cold networking is the worst because you're asking complete strangers for advice. And it's like, yes, but if you do it the right way, most of the time there's a, there's a lot of people out there who will respond and they will help you. It's when it feels very transactional, like, hey, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me. It's all about me, 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 that people are like, I don't know you and I don't have time for that. You know, like it's, there's definitely a right way of asking these things, kind of what we just talked about with the saying no. And I feel like you bring up a really good point about like, these are some tips of like, it's, it's not actually that awkward and you don't have to be as self-conscious about doing it. Now, look, you might be told no, especially in a, like a cold networking situation versus somebody, you know, and you work with closely. My advice has always been like, find somebody else, right? Like, you know, sometimes being told no, and I don't know if your studies found this too, but like being told no is actually a good thing too. You kind of also have to strengthen that muscle of being like, okay, I didn't get that thing or that person told me no. Now what's my next step, right? You can't always get used to being told yes either. Yeah, so I have so many responses. That was so many good points. So for one, the the idea of the assertiveness, you know, where we started of like not losing the assertiveness or the directness. So we find in our studies that people actually think being indirect is just as effective as being direct. That kind of like hinting like, hey, we should do something along these lines. Like it'd be really great to connect, you know, those kinds of like very kind of unassertive, like hinty kind of approaches are going to be just as effective as, hey, can I do this with you? Hey, will you do this? You know, these like, oh, I, this is actually what I'm looking for. And so obviously, like the more specific and direct that you are, the more likely you are to actually get that thing because people aren't guessing, like, are you really asking yeah. me for something? Or like, is this really, you know? And then definitely the the no muscle is really fascinating. So first of all, we find that when people hear no, they assume that they're going to get future no's. So like that no, we attribute it too much to like, oh, that person clearly is a no person or this thing I'm asking is clearly a no thing, right? And they yeah. kind of doubt that relationship and they doubt the thing they're asking for. When in fact, that's often not the case. It's usually just a matter of circumstance and you do just need to move on, right? And then lastly, one of the things I talk about in my book is something called rejection therapy, which is not a real therapy, but it's a really fun sort of exercise and game almost. But the idea is to get rejected as much as possible, which first of all, turns out to be harder than you think, right? Because like if you're expecting rejection all the time, it's like you don't always get it. Actually, it's harder than you think to actually get rejected. But then it also helps you kind of not be not fall apart from rejection, yeah. right? Like not take it too personally. And I think that muscle is really important to develop. Well, I think that's especially important for job searchers to hear right now, because, you know, the job search, I always joke, like nothing will make you feel more insecure than a job search. Cause it's like, you get email, like a rejection, you get a phone call. reject. Well, you probably don't get a phone if call. You're lucky, you, if you're lucky, yeah, if you're not ghosted, right? As I was saying, most of the time you just get ghosted with the, but you know, the rejection's just floating out there in the universe, but it is every single successful person has been rejected from a ton of jobs in rejected meaning ghosted or, or just told <laughs> you're not the right fit. Right. So that that's, that's really interesting. The career contestant podcast is supported by our friends at Dropbox remotely curious podcast is back for a brand new season, asking all the questions about hybrid remote, or as Dropbox likes to call it virtual first work. 
Working life has changed in so many ways over the past few years, and we're all doing our best just to keep up. In season two, host Tiffany Jones-Brown takes a deeper look at the challenges and the realities of this moment with the help of best-selling authors, scientists, comedians, professors, and researchers. Hear from a time management expert on how to find balance in the age of distraction and a fashion historian on how to think about our closets full of untouched work clothes. Tiffany even takes on topics like caregiving and the struggle to tap into our creativity from the couch. I just listened to their episode called Faces, and it was so interesting. On the episode, they covered Zoom fatigue, a topic that we've also talked about on our show. They interviewed a professor from Stanford about what Zoom fatigue is and some evidence-based ways to manage burnout from staring at faces, including your own, which I thought was really fascinating, particularly learning more about the societal pressure that women disproportionately face in, quote, Zoom culture. I know, it's another one for us, ladies. There are tons of other great episodes. Hear from incredible guests who work at the center of our changing culture, like Oliver Berkman, Angela Garbles, Katie Milkman, Gloria Mark, and so many more. Whether you're working from home, commuting part-time, or navigating a return to office life, Remotely Curious offers relatable conversations, insights, and perspectives to help you figure it all out. Listen to Remotely Curious on your favorite podcast app or at remotely-curious.com. Do your studies show a gender aspect to the discomfort of asking? So this is interesting. In my specific studies, we don't find a gender difference, oh, but there is okay. there there is other work where there are gender differences. So I wouldn't say that there aren't gender differences. So there's you may have heard of the book Women Don't Ask, which yeah. has been a pretty big book by Linda Babcock. And so the way I kind of reconcile the two things is that in our studies, we look at people's like perceptions of what's going to happen. And we actually find that both men and women are pretty underconfident when it comes to asking. Like they don't expect much to happen. They don't, they kind of anticipate rejection and like anxiety and all this stuff. But I think it means something different to men and women that men are like, well, if I get rejected, so what? I'll move on. But women are so worried about being communal and not, you know, rocking the boat because we've been conditioned to care about those things, you know, to make sure everybody likes us and that we're agreeable. Yeah. And so even if like in my studies, both genders kind of react similarly to asking in the end, it, it kind of means something different to women where they might just decide not to do it at all. Right. I'll just hold back because if it's going to rock the boat that much, if this person is likely to reject me, even if they aren't right? You know, why bother asking? Whereas men might be more risk-taking in that, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope people do ask because you don't get what you don't ask for. And also we just talked about how it's almost a good thing to get rejected and to build that muscle. I want to talk about another concept that you, you have, which is the illusion of courage. What is that? Yeah. So this is a concept that was found by a psychologist named Lee Van Boven. And he basically showed that we tend to think that other people are in essence braver than we are, right? So we have this illusion of courage in other people. So he's done these fun studies where he has people come into a big room and he like blasts, I think it's Rick James. And he says, you know, people are gonna randomly be chosen to dance in front of this whole audience on stage. <laughs> and he asked people, how much money would you need to be paid to do this? And how much money would other people, you know, some other random person in the room need to be paid? And we tend to think that like, oh, no, you'd have to pay me a lot of money. I'm not getting up on stage for like less than like a significant amount of money. 
But, you know, we think other people, oh, they, they'll just do it for a little bit, right? They, it's not as scary to them. So it's this illusion that other people are more courageous, less impacted by embarrassment is what it, it comes down to in a lot of ways than we ourselves are. Like our embarrassment is acute, but other people seems kind of just abstract and, and like less intense than our own. Yeah, I can remember I like tripped on the stairwell in high school once and I was a freshman and I did it in front of like a whole group of senior boys. And this is like burned into my memory and the embarrassed, like I am still embarrassed about that moment. And it's funny that you say that because like, I don't think if you ask any of those people, they would ever remember this means nothing to them. But like, I still remember that moment. And I also remember my mom being like, the best thing you can do when you do something embarrassing is to like laugh it off, like make it so it's no big deal. But it's just funny that you say that because like, I still have a vivid memory of the like, I I feel embarrassed talking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's funny you say that the illusion of courage for sure. I also want to talk about so with the saying no, I think like kind of like the si- sibling of saying no is boundaries and setting boundaries. Do you believe that when you find appropriate ways to say no, mindful ways to say no, that people also start to respect your boundaries? Because one of the things I've found is that if you say yes to everything, you're just like the go along, get along guy. Of course, people start to push over your boundaries. They don't know what your boundaries are, right? You've never set them. What are your, what, what does the research show about boundary setting and saying no? This is actually where I like to point out that I feel like too much onus is placed on the people who need to set boundaries to set their own boundaries. You know, like there's so much advice on getting better at saying no, which I think is great. We do need to get better at saying no. And I do think that we, you know, once we come up with some scripts that we use, some techniques, we will get better at it, right? And feel more comfortable doing it. And, you know, I think also that people should be able to ask for things. You know, I think that's okay. And I think it should be open communication where people feel comfortable asking and also people feel comfortable saying no. But I think we don't kind of advise people asking enough on how to make their ass sort of less pressureful on the people that they're asking, right? So it's okay to ask. We should ask, but we have this idea that we're always getting past no when we ask. And we forget that like, actually sometimes we're putting people in these positions where they feel really uncomfortable saying no. And so finding ways to ask where we actually think about, you know, how can I ask in a way that doesn't pressure this person? And we all know, like, if you get a yes and then the person doesn't want to do it, like, that's worse for everybody. Either the person does a bad job or they're annoyed by it or, you know, they bail at the last minute and that just messes everything up. So it's it helps everybody if you're getting sort of these like truly consensual yeses, right? These like enthusiastic yeses. And so in our lab, we've looked at a couple ways to do this. So one is you can ask in person for things but you give the person time to respond over email. So just like we talked about, like if you need to get better at at saying no, you know, you can buy that time, but ideally the people asking are are giving you that time, right? Like, so with my graduate students, if I have something I'm thinking of for them, but they might not have time to do it. And, you know, I kind of make my pitch in person. I say, I have this idea for a project. I think it could be fun, but I want you to really go back and think about your projects and if you can handle this and then just email me, you know, in a few days if you feel like you want to do that. And so I'm giving them the space so they don't have to ask for it. Right. And the other way that we've been looking at recently in the lab is giving people the language. So we we talked about how it's often hard to find the words to say no. So like you're struggling, you're like, I want to say no, but I need to say it in a way that makes me, you know, feel okay and makes us all okay. 
But if you ask people and say, we often say like, it's okay if you want to say no, right? When we look at that in the lab, that doesn't do anything. Everyone knows it's okay. You know, like they know they're allowed to, that's not, that doesn't add anything. But if you say like, will you do this for me? If you can't just tell me X and you kind of give them the words, you give them a script to say back to you. They know exactly what to say. They don't have to struggle for the words and they feel much more comfortable saying no. And so we found that to be the case in the lab that telling people how to say no is more effective than telling them that they can say no. Interesting. I I, I totally follow what you're saying too about let's stop putting the onus on everybody to draw these really strict boundaries. And maybe let's put more of the onus on when someone is setting a boundary, respect it right? I was in a a class thing the other day and the woman was basically letting us know, like, I can't teach on Fridays anymore. And everyone was like, oh no, like that's the day. And finally someone said, Mary is trying to set a boundary and no one is respecting it. And that like blew my mind because I thought that is exactly what's happening. She's politely telling people, I can't do this thing on Fridays anymore. And all these other people are saying, but Fridays work for me. So how can we bully you into going back to Fridays or make you feel so bad about this that you'll come back and teach this class on Fridays? And I completely agree. The people who were kind of asking her about it, they should have respected the fact that she was drawing a line. And I believe too, it would be easier to set boundaries and say no if there was more of that reciprocal relationship. Like if you didn't have to say no five times to somebody, you'd probably be better and more comfortable saying no. But there are those people at work where you're like, I have to say no five times. And it's like, painful for me and them. So I'm just going to start saying yes to them because what's the point, right? We do work for people. So hopefully this podcast will get to those people where it's like also the self-awareness of like, be aware when someone is drawing that boundary and telling you no, right? Yeah. And I mean, recognizing that that's really hard for people to do and they often do it in a less assertive way than they feel inside because it is so hard. I, I also like there's some companies that when it comes to like romantic requests in the workplace, they have like a only ask once policy. And I love that for everything. Like people yeah. shouldn't have to say no five times. It should be like only ask once if they say no, like that's the answer, right? Yeah. I like, I love that. And like for managers who are listening, like that's something that you could implement on your team to create a way more respect when it comes to the no and the boundaries thing. And, 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 you know, within, it's funny, Slack has this thing where people can set their hours. And, you know, if you send a Slack message outside of their hours, it basically gives you this note, like this is outside of their hours. Do you want us to notify them anyways? And I would never, I never hit yes, notify them anyways, unless it's truly like an emergency, like, Hey, this thing is broken we need to fix it ASAP. But I think that's really funny because it, it's like a reminder of like, Hey, do you want me to interrupt this person outside of those working hours? Like how, how much work is that? And so hopefully some of the technology we're using for remote and hybrid work will also help with this a little bit, just because your point of like saying no in writing is a little bit easier than in person. Okay. I want to wrap up by, so your book is called, you have more influence than you think. So I want to wrap up with just your final thoughts on influence and influencers even maybe, because I feel like influencers used to be just this thing that was on Instagram. But I also feel like building influence at work is is a very important skill. So can we talk a little bit about that? Some key takeaways of you have more influence than you think. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and one of the takeaways is that essentially, you know, that's, it's kind of like a, a, (laughs) like a cheesy way to say it, but like, we're all influencers, right? So that's part of the, the takeaway of the book. And one of the things I talk about is that 
people end up seeing us, like watching the things we do, listening to the things we say, actually listening to us and changing their minds because of things we say, and doing things for us when we ask them more than we think. So I run through a bunch of studies that basically show that we do impact people regularly all the time in ways that we don't always see. And so some of the main takeaways are, you know, show up, so we often think like, what's the point of me being in that meeting? I don't really have anything to say, but simply by being present in meetings, other people notice that you're there and that yes. might shape how they talk about a topic, right? Oh, you know, you're seeing your face reminds me that you care about these kinds of things. So let's talk about those, right? Also raising issues and voicing things and even giving compliments, things as simple as that, you know, all that stuff actually matters more than we think. We think we have to be perfectly articulate articulate and have things, you know, perfectly formulated to make an impact, but often just saying like I'm not exactly I don't have a good reason for this, but here's my my gut feeling about this, right? Can shape a conversation like people take that seriously. And then asking, you know, not assuming that people are going to say no, you know, as we talked about earlier, knowing that in fact in many cases, people want to agree with the things that we ask them for. And so we should go ahead and ask. It's not going to, it doesn't have as many negatives as we think, right? It can have a lot of positives as long as we're not, you know, abusing that, as long as we're not doing like the ask five times kind of thing. And as long as we're asking in ways, you know, that allow the other person to say no. Yeah. So just to wrap up, some tips would be when you ask someone for something, give them the script to be able to say no back to you. And that like just that subtle shift would be really important. And then on the flip side, before you say yes to something, always tell someone, oh, thanks for asking me about that or come up with your script. However, they ask it. Let me think about that and I'll get back to you in writing, you know, write it down in your post-it note so that you remind yourself to get back to someone. I think these are really, really good tips. And I think it will really help with the whole setting boundaries, how to say no at work. And it's so much more helpful than no is a complete sentence. So thank you for sharing these today. Absolutely. Where can people find you, follow your work, buy your book, all the things? So I have a website, vanessabonds.com, and Bonds is B-O-H-N-S. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Prof Bonds and on LinkedIn if you want to connect there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please don't forget to rate and review our show. It truly helps so, so much. Another tool that you'll want when you're working on saying no and setting boundaries is confidence. Check out our online course, The Confidence Crunch, that will help you strengthen your confidence muscles in just 21 days. Check out the show notes for that link. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.